Amos, Amos chapter 2, Amos chapter 2, we uh, pretty much finished uh, chapter 1 uh, last week, and we're going to look at more judgment tonight. Last week we looked at the judgment of the nations, judgment of God on five Gentile nations surrounding Israel, and we noted that Israel was kind of like a bullseye right in the middle of a target, and they're still the bullseye today. Uh, everybody around them seems to, and even in the world, uh, Israel seems to be the bullseye. And today we will look at two more nations out of the seven. We looked at five, and there are seven that surround uh, the surrounding nations of Israel that experience the judgment of God. Then when we get done with these seven, we're going to go look at Israel and the judgment of God on Israel. But uh, we'll look at that tonight, but I thought, well, that's probably biting off a little more than we want to chew tonight. So we'll just look at these two, and then uh, uh, we'll, be, we'll be done with that. So uh, through Amos, God is pronouncing, first of all, to Syria, uh, judgment in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1. Uh, he excuses them, or accuses them, not excuses, he did not excuse them, excuse me, uh, excuse me. Anyway, we'll get it right here. He accuses them of awful cruelty uh, in war. Now, it's implied by this expression here in uh, the first chapter, they have fresh Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Now, uh, that's what uh, he's talking about there, the cruelty of this, uh, of this nation. Then he speaks uh, to Gaza in verses 6 through 8, Philistia, the Philistines, and he condemns them for the sin of slavery. Then in verses 9 through 10 to Ty Tyrus, uh, which is the Phoenicians, and he judges them for a cruelty of slavery as well. And then he speaks to Israel's old enemy, Edom, you know, came from uh, Esau, and uh, that's in verses 11 and 12, and accuses them of not showing pity, but maintaining a constant hatred. Then he speaks in verses 13 through 15 to the nation of Ammon, with, uh, who is judged for bitter cruelty and selfish greed. Now that takes care of the five, and they are kind of surrounding Israel, and uh, Israel's right in the middle there. Now, we come to judgment against Moab in chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. He speaks to Moab and he judges them for cruelty against Edom. Uh, Edom was judged. Now Moab is judged for cruelty against Edom. That's very interesting because uh, he's already judged Edom for their cruelty but we could say two rights don't make a wrong. And what a lesson there is in this. Edom uh, was guilty of cruelty, but that, that did not legitimize the crimes against them. doesn't make it uh, right for someone to uh, be cruel against them, even though they were cruel against others. Uh, you see, that what Amos is communicating here is God is a God of justice. He is just, He is impartial, and He must judge iniquity. So he knows here in verse 1 of chapter 2, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions to Moab and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he burned the bones of the 
king of Edom into lime, and I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of uh, Kiroth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting, and with the sound of the trumpet. And I will cut off the judge from the midst thereof, and will slay all the princes thereof with him, saith the Lord. The Moabites had an awful spirit of revenge. And this judgment is for injustice. The Moabites had gained a victory in battle over their enemies, who were the Edomites, and had killed their king. Now, you would think that would be enough just to uh, have uh, defeated them and killed their king, but they even went as far as burning the bones of the king of Edom into lime, it tells us here. Now, some commentators think, well, they may have even plastered the walls of one of their buildings with the ashes of the king, kind of an act of arrogance and revenge for the past actions against them. But once again, the judgment of God here is pronounced on this country and her leadership. And so uh, we could say the Moabites carried their revengeful spirit to the nth degree. Are you familiar with that uh, term? It's been a term that's uh, been around for a while. The nth degree. N-T-H. Nth degree. What's that mean? It means a series of occurrences or planned events, things used and so forth, and what is thought of as infinitely large. And they, uh, they uh, had carried their revengeful spirit to the nth degree. And Moab... It says here, shall die with tumult. Uh, they will go out with a real uh, real bang, so to speak, and the nation will be ended. Uh, this proud nation was brought to extinction later at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And you haven't seen a Moabite since. Anybody seen a Moabite lately? No, you haven't seen any because there aren't any. They're gone, wiped off the face of the earth. Now, some people would like to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And there's been many, many attempts to do so. But you know what? They're still around right there. They're still here. Moabites, they're gone. Now, here's a side note that's very interesting, I believe. Many years before, out of this heathen nation of Moab, there came a gentle, lovely, beautiful girl by the name of Ruth, who became the wife of Boaz. Uh, we studied Ruth many uh, months and years ago, probably now. Uh, but her st uh, story is recorded in one of the, uh, the loveliest, loveliest books, we could say, in the Bible. Ruth is in the genealogical line, uh, which leads to Jesus Christ. And she had come from Moab. And of all places, uh, they were a really heathen, pagan people with sad, sorry beginning and just a sad and tragic end as a nation. But Ruth's story uh, really gives to us, shows us the grace of God, what it can do in the life of a believer if a believer will let him, let him do it. So that's just a, a, an interesting side note there about the Moabites. But God's going to judge them here, and he does so, as Amos tells us in verses 1 through 3. Secondly, we have the judgment against Judah. Now, he comes to Judah in verses 4 and 5, and he judges them 
for despising and rejecting God's law. Here Amos turns to the nation uh, of Israel. Israel, uh, you know, the northern kingdom, Judah is the southern kingdom. So actually Judah's a kind of a part of the uh, of, the, of Israel, but Israel, they're divided into two kingdoms. And he's uh, using a reverse method, which other prophets will use later on too. They are always mentioned God's judgment of Israel, and then the judgment of the other nations around them. You notice here, Amos has taken up all the other nations first, and then he's going to turn to Israel against whom the judgment of God will even be greater. And the reason for their greater judgment, I believe, is quite obvious. Privilege always creates responsibility. Privilege always creates responsibility. The more light you have, the more responsible you are to God. Now, if you didn't want more light, you shouldn't have come tonight. Okay? Now, you should never come. If you don't want more life. If you don't want more responsibility, you shouldn't be in the church. But the more you're in church, the more you hear the preaching and teaching of God's word, the more responsible. I come, become, and you become as well. It's, it's, a, it's a principle from God's word. I believe you and I are more responsible to God than people who deny the Bible. And who are not hearing the word of God. There's people out uh, around... Uh, I'm, I'm, Sorry to say, there's even people from our own church. We have a lot of empty seats here. It should be filled with people from who are members of our church, but they're not here tonight. They're not hearing the word of God here anyway. They may be hearing it someplace else. I hope they are. But we are more responsible. We often like to sit in judgments of other nations around us, and and but we, have we ever stopped to think of the tremendous responsibility we have? because of the privilege of having the Word of God. Now, there are many people in the world that do not even have the Word of God in their language. We can rejoice that we have the Bible, but the important thing to remember is our own personal obedience to the Word of God, whether or not we're doing anything to help get it out to others. Now, as I noted here, Ju Judah is the southern kingdom. Amos takes up the sins of God's people. Verse 4, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah or four. By the way, we talked about this last, last week. When he said in verse uh, 1 about Moab, for three transgressions of Moab and for four. Now he says it about Judah. And he said it about each one of these nations. In other words, he's really saying, I could go on with 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I could go on a lot farther than just 3 or 4. It's kind of a, an expression that's being used here to indicate there are many transgressions against God. And uh, so he says, Thus saith the Lord for three as transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments, and their lies caused them to err after the which their fathers have walked. Again, God could enumerate many transgressions of which they were guilty, but there's the key one here is this. They despised, they despised the law of the Lord, as it says there in verse 4. Now this is kind of a brief way of saying that 
what Isaiah said in his prophecy, in Jeremiah as well, and Ezekiel. They took quite a few pages to say. Amos says it right here in one verse. But they said it all uh, in their book as well. God will judge the southern kingdom. Why? They did not keep the commandments of God. They despised God's law. That's a serious thing. To despise the word of God. Judah had the law of God, and they despised it. They even had a temple, the temple which was in Jerusalem. So God now judges them according to the law. Now, do you notice that God did not judge any of the other nations on that basis whatsoever? He judged them for certain specific sins which are common to natural man. The, the cruelty and uh, the things that they did against other nations. God judged them about uh, those things that, that uh, they did, and they're common to men. But because these other nations did not have God's law, they were not judged according to God's law. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, and, But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour, devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Again, Amos mentions there's going to be judgment by fire. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar came against the city of Jerusalem, he burned it down to the ground. And there was nothing left but the stones. And as God turns his attention to Judah, the other part of the divided kingdom, which is centered in Jerusalem, notice here that the way God describes them has kind of shifted. Uh, he does not catalog any atrocities that they have committed, but he focuses on their rejection of the law of God, and that is to follow false gods or lies. Notice he says there in, in verse uh, 4, their lies have caused them to err. They have followed the lies of false gods. God tried to raise them up as a people to speak the truth of his glory and the greatness among the nations. But Judah fell into the trap and they neglected the word of God and were sucked into the teachings of false gods in the nations surrounding them. Now what Amos, as a great preacher, has done in this prophecy, again, we go back to this idea of drawing a circle around a target. As we mentioned earlier, and we also mentioned last week, you map out the seven nations that he's identified. We see here they encircle Israel. Started up there in Syria, went down to Philistia and Phoenicia, came over to Edom and Moab and Ammon. Finally, he comes to Judah, and that kind of completes the circle. And it's kind of a, a wonderful uh, sermon device that he's using here. Amos is trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel. I can hear them saying, now, yes, sir, preach it, brother. Amen. You know, they're really, they're really getting into it. Because he's, and, and, and they're just really going, those Edomites, they're evil. Those Phoenicians, uh, they're awful. Amen, brother, preach it. You know, his listeners see the map, so to speak, being drawn, finishing with Judah, their physical kinsmen. Uh, remember, Amos is up in the north when he's preaching this. He's up in, uh, we said, uh, uh, near Bethel, wasn't it? He's up in the north. And so the Israelites are hearing him preach this. 
And so they're the ones saying amen. And they said, now now uh, even their uh, kinsmen are their, their enemies. And you can just hear them say amen to every single one of them. And with the seventh judgment, Amos finishes the point of the sinfulness of all the nations. And what Amos has done for Israel and for us, I would suggest, is describe what life again is without God and what it looks like. We talked about that uh, a little bit in our last study. An ever-deepening circle of evil, of lust for power, a me-versus-them attitude, uh, solidifying of one's own safety, one's own comfort at the expense of others. Perhaps more than any other writer in the, in the Scripture, the minor prophets, uh, sent by God to speak the truth to the nation of Israel and Judah at the time of indifference toward God and great calamity, to declare that life without God is evil and destructive and it always descends deeper and deeper into sinful, awful, destructive behavior. It's a theme you'll find throughout Scripture. In Psalm 1, Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Right there is a progression, a downward progression. People began to live without God, begin to listen to the voices of those who are evil, it starts them on a path that takes them farther and farther and farther away from God. So eventually they're living the, the way sinners live. And finally they're sitting in the seat of the scoffers who defy God. Now the New Testament counterpart, if you can't read that, you can turn to it in Romans chapter 1. This is the New Testament counterpart to the message of the opening sermon here of Amos. And Paul is describing the downward spiral of people and societies who choose to live God. Listen to the words and read them with me if you, uh, if you can see it. Or if you want to look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy and murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. What a picture that Paul paints there. And it's that downward spiral of evil, living without God. Kind of pounding home, characteristic after characteristic. Paul says the same thing that Amos does. Life without God is destructive. Now, before we go on, we'll not look at the pronouncement against Israel tonight. But we just, I want to learn a few principles here from what we've already looked at. 
So lessons from judgment. The first lesson from this judgment is that God is a God of justice. A God of justice. We need to learn that. We need to realize that. And God takes note of what's going on in the nations of the world. God is not ignorant or unknowing of what's happening in our world. And before pronouncing the judgment of Judah and Israel, Amos pronounces judgment on six Gentile nations. Now again, remember God did not give His law, or you could say the Ten Commandments or the first five books of the Bible. He didn't give them to these Gentile nations, did He? He gave them to His covenant people, Israel, and yet He still expected the nations of the world to be accountable for their sins against humanity. We might be forgiven thinking that uh, in the Old Testament, God was only interested in, in Israel, in Judah. And that's the case to a large extent. In verse 4 of chapter 2, he indicts Judah for disregarding, despising his law. Chapter 2 Verses 9 through 12, he's going to indict Israel for dis disregarding his love for them, his covenant love. But God is a God of all flesh. Even the Gentile nations, round about Israel and Judah, God was indicting them for their sin. He was judging them uh, for breaking uh, uh, the, his law. Even though they didn't, wasn't given the law, he wasn't uh, judging them according to the law. They didn't have the two tables of stone. Moses had got the Ten Commandments. God had written the requirements and expectations of His law upon their hearts. If you turn over to Romans chapter 2, notice uh, uh, you can see this with your own eyes. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God, He's not saying, I'm, just, I'm going to just deal with Judah or Israel or my people. I'm going to deal with the whole world. There's no respecter, uh, uh, no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. See, people around us who are unconverted, not saved, they don't know God. They aren't God's people. But you know, they kind of instinctively know they shouldn't be bad. You know, you ask someone and say, how are you going to get to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. You know, I'll probably make it. Because I, I haven't really done anything really bad. I haven't stolen any banks, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't, uh, uh, you know, done anything that's uh, really, really bad. I'm a pretty good person. And they know instinctively not just how to 
to do bad, but they know how to do good. They they do the bad more often than they do the good, but they know with the conscience that God's given them, the law written on the inner man, therefore all nations of the world need to sit up and know that God takes note. God knows what's going on. Nationally and individually. There's some people in our government that need to know that God is taking note of what's going on. Nationally, that's an awesome message for the countries and the kingdoms of our world, for the nations that are, you know, some of their, we have some nations that are pretty poor on human rights. And uh, our nation, other nations sometimes cozy up to these nations that are, are pretty bad. Totalitarian states, nations guilty of ethnic cleansing, genocide, state-sponsored terrorism. States that are guilty of crime, war crimes upon soldiers and forces and civilians. So there are nations that are culturally, they have a caste system and they have uh, an endemic of, or what may be called an institutionalized racism or sectarianism or discrimination. We can not a different names we can call it, but it's a general abuse of, of their political power. Even in our own country, our what we call a free society, there's the murder of innocent. It's called abortion. There's a mass destruction of human embryos, and the just God of heaven is taking note. It's not going to bypass him. And what is the case nationally is also the case in the vision. God is taking note of each one of our lives. Listen, you've got a conscience, and that conscience tells you what is wrong and warns you about wrong and immoral personal behavior. And if you disregard it, God takes note, and you will answer to God one day. What a lesson this is for us in our modern society. God is taking note of what's happening here in uh, Amos' day, but he's also taking note of what's happening in our day. God is a God of justice. But there's another principle here, another lesson. God holds nations accountable. This God of justice holds nations accountable. He's not turning a blind eye. Kings and presidents and prime ministers and military generals and politicians and chancellors or whatever you want to call them are all accountable to the God of heaven. We read in the book of Genesis that Abraham could not enter into the promised land at that point because the iniquity of the Amorites was not full yet and the cup of wrath that was being stored up for the Gentile race was not full. God holds nations accountable to this very day and I wonder, and would ask the question, what is the limit of iniquity for our nation? What is the quota for the United States of America? The quota of sin before God is going to come down in judgment on our country. Or some might even say if his judgment already started, many believe he has. But God holds nations accountable. And then thirdly, God judges nations when it pleases him. That's the third lesson I think we see here uh, 
Each time he brings an indictment to the accused nations here, he repeats this statement. Look at, at uh, you'll see it in verse uh, chapter 1, 3, and 4, uh, verses 3 and 4 right throughout. And I will not turn away the punishment thereof, but I will send fire. I will not turn away its punishment. I will send fire. You know, our God is a consuming fire. You know, that's not something that's necessarily Old Testament either. That's found in the New Testament. You know where it's found? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. And praise God for the gospel. Thank God for New Testament believers in the New Covenant, partakers of it. And we're thankful for God's grace. We're Bible believers. We, we're thankful for the cross. We, uh, we're thankful for the shed blood, the redemption and justification through the, uh, the sacrifice of, for our sins. And how that our sins have been put away from us as far as the east is from the west, buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's what we rejoice in. We sing about it. He rose again the third day to justify us and all uh, whosoever will freely believe but God's justice and holiness is still intact. God has not ceased to be just. And when he revealed himself to Moses, you remember uh, back in Exodus, if you don't remember, this is what he said. It says there, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, under the third and fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth of the I don't know whether you're aware or not, but there seems to be a revival taking place. Now, it's not the kind of revival you think revival should be. But there's a revival of what's called universalism in our day. Even among some so-called Bible-believing churches. That is, that all will be saved in the end. That's what it is. All will be saved in the end because, you know, God's too loving. Uh, God's too forgiving. He's not going to let anybody perish. Well, God is not willing the nation perish. But I'm afraid there are those who are going to have because they've rejected God. And again, though we rejoice in the grace of God and His forgiveness, and if you're not saved, you can know by simple faith that wonderful transformation of grace even tonight. But such a view that says everyone eventually will be saved is imbalanced, it's unbiblical, uh, it's not the view. Uh, that we should have of God. That's not what the view of the Bible is. God is just. And if uh, Amos teaches us anything, it's that. But you know what the sobering fact is for us as a nation today? Our nation is guilty of many of the same crimes that these nations were guilty. Right here. I wonder if I was to ask you what our list of national sins were, what would you say our list would be? Would you list our national sins? You might say, well, you put greed up there. 
pretty greedy, aren't we, in our nation today? You just look at the bankers and the financiers for that one. Look at the multi-million salaries for athletes and entertainers today. I agree with what our evangelist said recently. He said, all professional athletes are overpaid. I agree with that. And then there's an excess in every sense of food and drink and drugs, the exploitation of the vulnerable uh, children, human trafficking, uh, the homeless, the list could go on and on, sexual permissiveness on every hand, sexual perversity celebrated. You know, we thought it was bad in the 60s and the 70s. It's a hundredfold worse than and it's getting worse. Now up to chapter, uh, verse 5 of chapter 2, the focus was on six Gentile nations and then the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. It must have pleased it, the Israelites, again in Bethel, that Amos was condemning those filthy Gentiles and those southerners from Judah. Talking about them southerners. Then he changed his tune. And he turned on the northerners of Israel. And we're going to look at that, the Lord willing, next week. Remember, we've already said, and this is the third time I think because it's important, God's judgment on his people will be according to his law, and he holds his people responsible because they have the law. And God holds us responsible tonight because we have his will. We have his will. Let's pray.